0: So, chapter seventeen, verse one, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "Speak to the children of Israel, and get from them a rod from each father's house, all their leaders according to their father's houses, twelve rods, for twelve tribes. Write each man's name on his rod, and you shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi, for there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house. Then you shall place them in the tabernacle of meeting before the testimony, where I meet with you, and it shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom." Thus I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel, which they make against you. So Moses spoke to the children of Israel, and each of the leaders gave him a rod apiece. For each leader, according to their father's houses, twelve rods, and the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses went in the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds, and had produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds. Then Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord to all the children of Israel, and they looked, and each man took his rod. And the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony be kept as a sign against the rebels, that you may put their complaints away from me, lest they die. Thus Moses, just as the Lord had commanded him, so he did. So the children of Israel spoke to Moses, saying, Surely we die, we perish, we all perish. Whoever even comes near the tabernacle of the Lord must die. Shall we all utterly die? So, we just have this whole situation where there's again, God is moving favorably with the next generation and he's putting everything in order, but he's got there's just this disorder because of rebellious hearts, people complaining, people murdering, things just not right. And again, for those over 20, if you're given over to yourself, you cannot properly discern things. And it just perpetuates unbelief. It perpetuates fear, shadows, all these things and misconceptions concerning God and what he's doing. And it's a sad place to be. And we don't ever want to be there. And the chapter ends off with you see these people like, shall we utterly die? And they're just, they're just confused because they never did believe the promises of God. And they're just they're just confused. But I draw your attention to verse 5. In this story of Aaron's budding rod, which eventually ended up in the Ark of the Covenant, within within the the Ark itself, with the manna and the Ten Commandments, it's amazing. It's such a wonderful story. But the twelve rods are put there, and so God said in verse 5, it shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. So God's like, enough of this nonsense. I'll confirm to you who I've called, because that person's rod will blossom, in fact, supernaturally. And you'll know that's who I've chosen. You'll know. I'm going to give you a supernatural sign that his rod will blossom, and you'll know, and that'll settle it. And all these 11 other rods from the other 11 tribes will make it clear once and for all, I've chosen Aaron and his house to do the work of the tabernacle. And that's that. So enough of this. That's basically what God is doing here. And so we see also there, we saw in verse 8 where it said that the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds. So this rod came alive. And it's, it's awesome. Like, that's a pretty amazing sign and wonder. And as we think about this, the key thought process of chapter 17 is, again, verse 5, the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. So let's think about this for a minute. For the woman that God chooses, the man that God chooses. Because God chooses. As the Bible says, many are called, but few are chosen. And who can understand the mystery of why some people respond to the gospel and some don't i just i've never understood it completely but jesus said he who has ears she who has ears let him hear what the spirit says and we want to be people that we can validate that we have been called and chosen by the lord by our obedience to the lord and the fruit that comes from our life in my calling into ministry as a pastor with calvary chapel movement particularly calvary chapel vista when brian broderson was the pastor down there I was ordained after a year of internship as a pastor at Calvary Chapel Vista in 1988. So early 1989, I was ordained. And on my ordination is the passage from John 15, where it says, you did not choose me, but I chose you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And I think that's really the cross-reference verse for us tonight on this passage for application. Because ultimately in John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And he says the one that bears fruit will be pruned that you can bear more fruit. So we kind of get pruned, right? Like God puts us through things, so we'll produce more fruit. But he said, if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Then he said, if my word abides in you, you will ask what you will, and it will be done for you. So the fruit gets clarification in the context of John 15, right there in verse 7, that As we're seeking the Lord, as we're drawing near to Jesus, as we're praying and just meditating and waiting on the Lord and letting his word work in us, that our prayers will begin to align themselves with the knowledge of his word. And so our prayers become what we would say biblically based. They're consistent with the character of God revealed in the word of God. And so when we know absolutely what God's will would be, we can pray with confidence for that. But if we're uncertain that something's just bigger than us, like events going on in our country right now, and why are these things happening, we can still pray the wisest prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. And who can know what the Lord is doing, but we know that God is good, God is light, and we're going to stand or fall before the Lord on what we did with our personal character and our personal decisions, not what politicians or good politicians or evil politicians did, not what people did in the open, for evil or for secret in evil or in the open for good or in private for good. Because before him, we we'll almost give an account. And for the thoughts and intents of the heart, for every other word, he'll give an account. So we shouldn't be unsettled by like, okay, what are these people doing and how does it affect me? We just got to know that God is good and we're praying according to his goodness revealed in his word. And we're asking for things and we're moving things and agreeing with things with the Lord in our personal prayer life. And that is fruit. Because that's how things get done, right? Through prayer. Like we get the mind of the Lord from the word of God, and then we pray. I mean, you go back to Acts chapter 2, it says that they, they had the apostles' doctrine, they had fellowship, and they prayed. They prayed be, with knowledge because they had the apostles' doctrine, the word of God, as they were going forward. And so, again, as we gather here every week, you know, twice a week, and we take in God's word, it's shaping us to how to be praying and to bear fruit. Because our the prayer is what Moves us in agreement with God, like it says in Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. So as we're seeking the Lord, reading his word, he's moving our heart to be aligned with his compass. And then we begin to pray and seek the Lord in certain directions with certain things in our personal life, as well as big picture items like our country, but in our personal life. And he confirms it and he leads us. And that leads us in the way of fruit, because he chose us. You did not choose me, I chose you, that you go and bear fruit, and your fruit should remain. So again, in the context of John 15, if we want our rod to blossom like like an almond branch of Aaron before the ark of the Lord, the tabernacle of God, we want to be abiding in the Lord, abiding his word, and asking with faith for things according to his word. And then he went on to say there in John 15, that that fruit should remain, and we want lasting fruit. We want lasting fruit. See, we can be busy about things. Like, we can be doing things, but that doesn't mean we're being fruitful, right? I mean, just because you're doing something doesn't mean you're being fruitful. Being fruitful is being fruitful. And what we want is what God's working and willing in our lives and working through us. That's what we want happening. And so we want fruit that lasts. And he said this, You know, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Can we all agree that we want our fruit to remain? Don't we all want our fruit to remain? And for time, when we leave, that what we did, that that fruit remains? All you have to do is look at faithful people that came before us and poured into us that are gone with the Lord. There's good fruit. There's a lot of good fruit from other people in me that people have done to impact me for Christ. And I want my fruit to remain for time, but we want our fruit to remain for eternity, because ultimately all things are tested before the Lord for the follower of Christ, and we want to be lasting fruit. Less chaff, more precious stones on the day of the Lord, coming from First Corinthians 3, where it says that all things are tested by fire. So we move on from this chapter by just saying, hey, we're reminded tonight, there's so much we can't control, but we can control is what we do with our time each day. Seeking the Lord with that time. Letting his word transform us during that time. Taking his word, meditating upon the Lord. Like it says, Psalm 1, and be, being fruitful. That the tree bears its fruit in due season. And being that person and let that fruit come forth that God wants to do. And that'll be the legacy of our life. We want to be like the blossoming branch, the rod of Aaron. And we want God to confirm to the world through our life that he's bearing fruit through us and that fruit will remain. And we want him to bear it for time, but we also want it to be there for eternity. Think of your life in this way. That rod supernaturally turned into a living branch with almond blossoms and almond fruit on it. That's a, we're just a dead stick without the Lord, but that's what we want. We want our life to be confirmed to be bearing fruit because he chose us for fruit and to be bearing fruit for his kingdom in and through us. And that's all that matters. I mean, apart from getting saved, what else would matter? Let's think critically for a moment. It's not that critical to think. Apart from being saved and born again into the kingdom of God and passing from darkness to light and death to life, what's more important than bearing fruit? Because bearing fruit is the purpose of our life that we're even alive right now in the Lord. So the God's confirmation, and that's what we want—is God's confirmation. So when you look at your life as you're wrapping up 2020, and you maybe take inventory of like decisions you made, things you did, what you chose to do, what I chose to do, decisions I made, as we evaluate that, can we want to see the, we want to see the fruit, we want to see the, the branch, we want the Lord to confirm what we look back upon, that we can see his hand on it. We want to have those Ebenezer stones, as it says in First Samuel, where we can say, man, the Lord definitely spoke right here. He definitely moved right here. He definitely guided us right there, and he definitely did that there. He was working in my life, and I'm a better version of who I'm meant to be in December 2020 than I was in January 2020. And that's what we can control. And so we should, because that's, we choose to do what we want with our time. And we want to be a fruit. We want to be available that the Lord can look at us and say, this is the woman I've chosen and they've blossomed. This is the man I've chosen and he's blossomed. And I've confirmed it and there's fruit. Any questions? Because that's pretty much like, like, almost like, that's the end of it. So let the Lord prove that fruit in our life. And as we even take inventory in December, which is what a lot of companies do, may we see fruit and we want to see more fruit. May it set our vision and direction for the new year properly. Chapter 18, we pick it up, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Aaron, now this gets my attention right away, because usually the Lord's speaking to Moses or Moses and Aaron. So right away, this is the Lord speaking directly to Aaron, uh, personally, as the high priest. And then the Lord said to Aaron, you and your sons in your father's house, you shall bear the iniquity related to the sanctuary. You and your sons, you shall bear the iniquity associated with your priesthood. Also bring with you your brethren of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may be joined with you and serve you while you and your sons are with you before the tabernacle of witness. They shall attend to your needs and all the needs of the tabernacle, but they shall not come near the article, the sanctuary, and the altar, lest they die, they and you also. They shall be joined with you and attend to the needs of the tabernacle of meeting for all the work of the tabernacle. But an outsider shall not come near you. And you shall attend to the duties of the sanctuary and the duties of the altar, that there be no more wrath on the children of Israel. Behold, I myself have taken your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel. They are a gift to you, given by the Lord, to do the work of the tabernacle meeting. Therefore, you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything at the altar and behind the veil. That's the Holy of Holies. And you shall serve. I give your priesthood to you as a gift for service, but the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. So in this opening statement of chapter 18, God reminds Aaron specifically about his role as a priest, the role of his direct sons, Eliezer, his grandson, Phinehas, eventually, and, and Ithamar, what they do, their responsibilities, that they're not alone. He's, God's given them the Levites to help them. We did a study about a month and a half ago how God gives us people to help us. He sends people our way, that are a blessing to us in our ministries and to our calling, and that we carry one another, we encourage one another and we share the journey, and sometimes we share the journey for a long time, sometimes just for a season, and you can look back, if you've walked with the Lord very long, you can look back and say, hey, you know, I was involved in a women's ministry, and we were, we were group leaders at Calvary Mesa with Joyful Life Women for two years, and it was like this, and then it, it moved on, and they moved to another state, and then we ended up at WG or whatever, but that's part of the journey, like when, it, when Jim O'Connor texted me from Virginia Beach, it's like, hey, He was a deacon in Virginia Beach for three years. We went to Vermont together for a year. We planted that church. He stayed seven years longer after I left, six years after that time. And we shared that journey for five years four in Virginia, one in Vermont. And then, you know, he was a great blessing to me. And then, different seasons. That's how it works that God gives us different people to help us in different seasons of our life. And He gives you to help others in different seasons of their life in service to the Lord, ideally. And as God has given each one who's born again a gift, we want to be a blessing with those spiritual gifts to people that were called to be around. And that's what he's talking about here. Aaron, I'm talking to you, not through your brother Moses. I'm talking directly to you. You're the high priest. This is what you do. Tabernacle, all of it. The veil, that's all your business. These guys, the Levites, look, they're they're there to help you. They're a gift from me to you. And we said this before. Don't you want to be the person that's a gift from the Lord to someone else? Like a positive gift? Because some people be like, yeah, they're a gift, all right. They're refining me like there's no tomorrow. Like, I mean, there's a place for that person being a gift in your life, but I prefer to be like the gift that they really like the gift. You know? like, uh, the gift that's not so much a refining, but just a total blessing. Let someone else be the grading gift. Let us be the, the blessing gift. So it's a gift for service, for you as a gift for service. Our calling is a gift. Do you realize that? Think what a privilege it is to even just be saved by faith and grace things angels desired to look into back in the old testament and previous covenants we had the full knowledge of through the gospel of jesus christ the word of god and the confirmation of the holy spirit and what a gift to just serve the lord you know and there's a spiritual battle in serving the lord but what a gift to serve the lord that he even wants to use us that he gives us he uses the talents he gave us in the first place and he sanctifies them for his purposes and he uses us Like, what a gift that we can give our time and our energy and our resources. What a gift that we can be used of the Lord. Like, when when the Lord uses you to speak to someone or help someone, don't you always feel great about that? It's a gift to serve the Lord. I feel sorry for people that just serve themselves, and it's all about them. It's just sad. All these people doing corrupt and evil things in our country right now, how sad. I mean, you can have all the money in the world to try and manipulate everything in the world, but you're still old and dying. But a billion dollars and a billion on a billion doesn't mean anything compared to being on the beach with their grandkids on a Tuesday. So if you want real wealth, you trust in the Lord, you serve the Lord, and you enjoy the people that he's given you in your life. And that's just the way it is. It's a gift to walk with the Lord. It's a gift to serve the Lord. It's a gift to be used to the Lord. And it's a gift just to see a blue sky and see it extra blue because it's the Lord. D.O. Moody, the great evangelist after he got saved, he said, the sky is bluer and the grass is greener when Jesus is enthroned on your heart. And so it is. It's a gift. So praise God. It's a gift for these guys. They had to deal some gnarly stuff, right? Still a gift, though, man. You're going to work at the tabernacle. Aaron, it's a privilege. I've given you good co-workers. It's a gift that I've given to you, and they're a gift to you. So appreciate it, and we should. Now, we read on to this next about the Levites and Aaron. And again, he's talking to Aaron, verse 8. And the Lord spoke to Aaron. Here I myself have given you charge of my heave offerings, all the holy gifts of the children of Israel. I have given them as a portion to you and your sons as an ordinance forever. This shall be yours of the most holy things reserved from the fire. Every offering of theirs, every grain offering, every sin offering, every trespass offering, which they render to me, shall be most holy for you and your sons. In a most holy place, you shall eat it. Every male shall eat it. It shall be holy to you. This also is yours, the heave offering of their gifts, with all the wave offerings of the children of Israel. I have given them to you and your sons and your daughters with you as an ordinance forever. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it, all the best of the oil, the best of the new wine and the grain, their first fruits, which they offer to the Lord, I have given them to you. Whatever first ripe fruit is in their land, which they bring to the Lord, it shall be yours. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it. Every devoted thing in Israel shall be yours. Everything that first opens the womb of all flesh, which they bring to the Lord, whether man or beast, shall be yours nevertheless. The firstborn of man you shall surely redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem. And those redeeming devoted things you shall redeem with one month old, when one month old, according to your valuation, for five shekels of silver, or according to the shekel of the sanctuary, which is twenty geras. But the firstborn of a cow, the firstborn of a sheep, or the firstborn of a goat, you shall not redeem. They are holy. You shall sprinkle their blood on the altar, burn their fat as an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord, and their flesh shall be yours." just as the wave breast and their right thigh are yours. All the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offered to the Lord, I have given them to you and your sons and daughters with you as an ordinance forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord with you and your descendants with you. Then the Lord said, Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in the land, nor shall I have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. So this is details about it's kind of like when you like when you get your when you negotiate a new job or whatever like hey this is what get. you get medical dental you get retirement benefits this is your pay you get bonus time holiday pay double pay christmas bonus whatever like the lord's literally going like hey Aaron, look this is your these are your responsibilities but this is what you get you get everything everything you bring to me you get that's pretty awesome like you, you much is too much is given as much is required but there's a great blessing in that so, you're going to bear these responsibilities. You're going to bear their iniquity before the tabernacle on behalf of the people, and you're going to oversee all this. But hey, you've got all that I get, I give to you. No one else had this set up with the Lord. This is so unique. And I go back to like Moses saying to Korah the previous week, like, isn't it enough that the Lord's giving you a job with the Levites? Like, what a blessing. Like, is that not enough for you? And here it's like, what a blessing for Aaron. Oh, the fresh fruit, the best barbecues, all of it. It's all yours. Like Texas Roadhouse Steakhouse, that's yours. The vegan place, all the vegetables, the first fruits, the, the oil, all that. It's all there. The best of the wine in the land, it's, it's all yours, man. You've got, it's its the it, the divine buffet. It's all yours. So got your back with everything you need. However, you're not going to own property in real estate. And you know, some of you might think God's doing a favor too, because I once had a very wealthy person tell me, you know, the more you got, the more you worry about. Because you lay in bed and you worry about who's trying to take it from you. And he wasn't kidding. He's a multimillionaire. He goes, Joey, like it's, when you have money and people know you have money, they want to separate you from your money. And you lay in bed trying to outsmart people, trying to figure out who's trying to separate you from your money and how to outsmart them from separating you from your money. And we know from Jesus in the New Testament so often, the one who has much is concerned by much. And the cares of this life can just consume us. And so the Lord's doing Aaron a Great He's like, hey, you're going to eat well every day. You've got this like debit card just totally good at the tabernacle for anything and everything. You have your beautiful wife, your beautiful children, stuff you take home, all this stuff. But uh, you don't own any property. You're a renter. Now he did give the Levites... Certain places to live within certain cities, but not like the other 11 tribes, which became 12 when Joseph is subdivided Manasseh and Ephraim, where they got huge pieces of territory. Like, you know, San Bernardino County belongs to the tribe of Judah, right? Like Orange County belongs to Naphtali. Like he gave those, the other tribes, lots of property with inheritances for subsequent generations just like Boaz, right, in the book of Ruth, the same idea, like there's inheritance, there's land, it stays in the family, it stays in the estate, and it never leaves. But he didn't do that for the Levites. Which brings up an interesting point. He's really protecting them from being distracted by earthly things so they can be totally focused on heavenly service. That's what I see here. He's protecting them from being distracted by earthly things, the vineyards, the herds, the plague that kills the hoof and mouth for your cows, the, the locusts that came in. God's like, you work for me. I, I got you, but you, you, don't, you don't need to be worried about property. You don't need to play the game of Monopoly. You don't, you, need, you don't need to go there. And it's interesting because in the New Testament, when the rich young ruler, who was so righteous in most ways, those properties and his wealth kept him from the only thing, is was the only thing that kept him from the one thing he really needed, his relationship with Jesus. Because what did Jesus say to the rich young ruler? Hey, one thing you lack. It's only one thing. But give it all away. Come follow me. And he couldn't do it. And he turned to the disciples and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom. Because the more you have, the more it distracts you. The more that earth owns you, the more it distracts you from heaven. And that's a, a, that can be a great danger with that. So in that context, remember what Peter says in Matthew 19? Lord, we've left houses for you. Well, Peter, we're all very impressed. It is a lot to leave houses for the Lord. I mean, if you ever own a house and give up a house and no longer own a house, we've done it before. It's like, you're like, wow, like you're out of the market, right? You want to get back in the market, right? Those are the kind of things that mean a lot in Southern California and for most people. But Peter said, we've left everything for you. And Jesus said, that's right. And know this, whoever has left family, friends, possessions, homes in this life, how much more will they get in the redemption of all things and the kingdom to come? In this life and the kingdom to come. And so really, in losing and letting go of things, we gain things. And that's what this reminds us, that God's telling the Levites, I'm going, the priest said, you're not going to own property. You're not going to own a big car collection. You're not going to own a lot of things. You're going to serve me without distraction and I'm going to meet all your needs, and you're going to be blessed, and I'm doing you a favor. That's what he's saying. So it's a good reminder for us, just to be reminded that it's not about accumulation, but fluidity of things. And I told you, in reading the life of Peter the Great, the Russian king, 1685 to like 1725, Peter the Great's amazing, one of the greatest rulers ever in human history. But in the end of his life, he brought Russia from backwoods into modern Europe and all that stuff, but I've mentioned this, the last thing he ever did on his last day is he, was, he asked for a piece of paper and pen and he wrote, I give to, and then he collapsed. He was trying to give stuff away on his last day. Isn't that amazing? The particular book I read won the Pulitzer Prize, Peter the Great, written in 1961 during the time of the Soviet Union. The last thing he said that he communicated I give away this too, and he couldn't finish it. He was trying to give more of something away to somebody, and he didn't finish it. We don't want to be like that. When we breathe our last, it's like, yeah, and everything else just kicks in gear. If there's a trust or whatever there is, it's it's just, you're dead, you know, because, like, the trust kicks in gear. It runs itself, right? That's the beauty of a trust. It just it runs itself. You protect everyone. Everyone, If you've got it all clear, it's like you've already given it away. That's how you want to be. We don't want to be trying to figure out that we have wealth that's unaccounted for, that we're leaving behind. It's not clarified who's the benefit for the kingdom or just by our own personal wishes. Yep, I think God's doing Aaron a huge favor. I'll, you'll have the best food every day, but not, I don't want you to be distracted with property and real estate mongling and that kind of stuff and what the market's doing and Zillow appraisals and stuff like that. I I don't want you distracted from that kind of stuff. I want you to be free to serve me. So praise the Lord and thank the Lord for that. And Paul said this best, one of our favorite verses, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The context is I've learned to abound into a base and God has taught me to have contentment in all things, whatever state I'm in. Because I don't don't need this stuff other than I want you to be blessed in giving stuff because the blessing goes to the giver. And know this, my God is able to supply all your needs and my needs according to his riches and glory, Philippians chapter 4. So God's, God's going to take care of us. And it's really about being faithful in our service and not being distracted. Because what did Jesus teach on the parable of soils? That third parable, the third soil, was the cares of this life, choke it out. We have to be careful. I think we need to take a, note, uh, a page from Aaron's priesthood service. That God's going to feed us. Well, what does the Bible say? With food and clothing be content. That God's going to feed us, take care of us. And to quote John MacArthur, they can't take away what you've already given. So if we're afraid of people taking things away from us, big, bad, boogeyman government like the Soviet Union, they can't take away what you've already given. If we've truly given our life and everything who we are to the Lord, no one can take that from us. It's already in the hands of the Lord. And if someone takes something from you against your will, and you realize that you actually owned it, then you can just make it a free will offering to the Lord. When, he, when we lost our first son, months after we lost our son, the Lord's like, hey, I took your son, but now I'm asking me you, will you give me your son? And in 1989, I gave the Lord our son. And I've never looked back. I gave our son to the Lord. I chose to give my son to the Lord, our son. And I've got a picture with me of my boys this week in the park, because Luke, of course, is in town visiting from Denver. So I got a picture with me and my boys, Timmy and Luke. And I was thinking, like, I would never post this, but, like, I'm so proud of my boys, the two boys that God gave us that I got to raise, Timmy the Benevolent, Prince Timothy the Benevolent, Prince Luke the Fearless, Dean's List, Cal State Maritime, Dean's List, Grand Canyon University. One plays a good car. The other plays the piano. Both are amazing. They don't cost us money. Isn't that great, by the way, if you've got adult men and they don't cost you anything when they're 25? Can I get a witness? Amen. Trust me. If your kids are not 25, when your boys are 25, you do not want them costing you money. They're productive and fruitful. We can't focus on what isn't. We need to focus on what is. I spent thousands of Bible studies with both my boys. And I didn't get to do the Bible studies with Jesse. And that's just the way it is. Receive the blessings that God has for us, serving in the tabernacle, and don't worry about all the Monopoly games of the world because it all gets changed over. Like I said, those European borders change all the time, man. There's nothing new under the sun. Now, we read on here in verse 21. God's still talking about the Levites. Behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Hereafter, the children of Israel shall not come near the tabernacle of meeting, lest they bear sin and die. But the Levites shall perform the work of the tabernacle of meeting. They shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that among the children of Israel they shall have no inheritance. For the tithe of the children of Israel, which they offer up as a heave offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites as an inheritance. Therefore, I have said to them, "...among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance." Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "...Speak thus to the Levites and say to them, When you take from the children of Israel the tithes which I have given them, when you take from the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you from them as inheritance, then you shall offer up a heave offering of it to the Lord." A tenth of the tithe. "...and your heave offering shall be reckoned to you as the grain, the threshing floor, as the fullness of the winepress." Thus you shall also offer a heave offering to the Lord from all your tithes which you receive from the children of Israel, and you shall give the Lord's heave offering from it to Aaron the priest. Of all your gifts you shall offer up your heave offering due to the Lord from the best of them, the consecrated part of them. Therefore you shall say to them, when you have lifted up the best of it, then the rest will be accounted to the Levites as produce of the threshing floor, as the produce of the winepress. You may eat it in any place, you and your household, for it is your reward for your work in the tabernacle meeting And you shall bear no sin because of it, when you have lifted up the best of it. But you shall not profane the holy gifts of the children of Israel, lest you die. So here in verses 21 through 32, God affirms that they derive their income from the tithe, a tenth of the offerings of the nation of Israel. The the children of Israel under a covenant agreement to give a tenth of all things to the Lord. That's That's how it worked. The tithe was absolute for them. In fact, in the book of Malachi, to the Jews in the context of the Mosaic covenant, he said, You've robbed God. In what way have you robbed me that you've not brought your tithes to me? And he said, Bring your tithes, put me to the test, and see if I won't pour out the storehouses of heaven upon you. So he rebuked them for not tithing, that is, the Jews in the context of their covenant with him that they were agreed to in their covenant. And he rebuked them for it. But he said, If you make it right, put me to the test. And it's like the only time in the Bible he says, put me to the test this way, and I will bless you more than you can handle. That's what he invited them to do. So when he affirmed the tithe to them in the last book of the Old Testament, chronologically and historically, he says, do this, and I will bless you more than you could ever know. He's trying to teach them, if you can trust me, with the first tenth, you'll realize you can trust me with the 90% that you still have. That's what he's trying to teach them. And he promised a blessing upon them if they did it. Now, Here, the leaders are told that you're deriving your benefits from the tithe, but I want you to tithe. So he says to Aaron and them, you're going to tithe from the tithe. In other words, you're driving income from the general populace of a tithe, but now you have an income, and you tithe as well. So you need to lead by example, and you need to be tithing, which reminds me of one of my favorite experiences as a young pastor when my wife and I took the train up to Oregon, to go see John Corson. And we, John made time for me to have lunch with me. I have the distinction of having a private audience with Pastor John Corson at a little coffee shop in Oregon. And he gave me some good counsel. And one thing he said to me is, Joey, the church will always reflect you. So if the church isn't praying enough, it's you. If the church isn't giving enough, it's you. If the church isn't serving enough, it's you. The church will always reflect you, and rarely will a congregation rise above the one who leads it. Great counsel. It took me a while to understand that in practice because I was very young at the time. I wasn't even 30 when I had that meeting with him. I was very young in ministry. But I've since learned this is, of course, very true. And so for me personally, I try to be very generous with our finances for my personal life, of our time, our energy, and our resources. And what you find happens supernaturally is like attracts like. So God has surrounded me with men and women who are very generous with their time, their energy, and their resources. And so from our leadership in the quiet and the secret places with the Lord, we sow very bountifully. And thus, it turns out, the church tends to be very generous and very kind in our resources. Thus, probably our one of our primary great strengths in our legacy of our church will be how generous we've been and how bountifully we've sown worldwide in missions and the advancement of the gospel through this church. When people visit our church who have been supported by this church, they're like, how did you ever do what you did for us? How do you do what you do? It's like, we just, the right hand, the left hand, you know, the Lord, and, and we do it, and that's how it works, and God's always had our back, and we've learned, so we were generous in our leadership, we've proven to be generous as a church, and we believe what Paul said to the Corinthians, the one who sows bountifully will reap bountifully, and we sow bountifully, we make sure we take care of Jerusalem, but everything we can, we just keep sowing bountifully, 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 all over the world, because that's what we want to do, like even in November, we sowed into the Orange County Rescue Mission, Pro-Life Ministries, family ministries, just different things, even domestically in our own country, and of Creation Research, stuff like that. And of course, all the missions that we normally do. We did Voice of the Martyrs. We're just sowing, sowing, sowing. And that's how, that's how we want to be. We're not retracting, remember? We're not about fear. We're about faith. And we see an expanding kingdom. And these leaders, they live from the tithe, but they had to tithe. And Pastor Chuck taught us a long time ago, it's not about tithing it's about how much you really can sow as you feel led if you feel comfortable to give a small percentage do that because god is a cheerful giver and you know me and mr foster jeremy foster so i say i'm not feeling it and god doesn't want to grudging giver so don't give begrudgingly but if you're feeling it then sow generously that's what the lord teaches us and we often use it as a gauge if i feel obligated to do something i'm not feeling good about like eh, i don't know i'm not feeling about it like I don't, I don't let people obligate me or manipulate me into giving of my personal resources or the resources of this church. But if I feel like, hey, you know what, I, I want to do that. I, I want to do that. That's in me. I, I'd like to do that. I want, I want to give a bunch of money to my mom's alma mater, you know, Beaumont School for Girls in Cleveland. I just, that's what I want to do. They get the same Jesus as us. That's what I want to do. That's what I choose to do. That's my choice. I want to, I want to give. This here and that there, that's my choice. Or at the church, like, wow, like new ministries. You, you notice every year we have new ministries we get behind. We got stuff from the Bangladesh ministry for years, and this year felt like, we're supposed to give money to Bangladesh. And now I know more about the guy who does the ministry and what he went through. And they have all these Christian refugees by the tens of thousands coming there, and they got nothing. They're, they're getting out of the Burma War, and they're persecuted. They're caught between all these people, and they've got nothing. And they're coming to nothing to one of the poorest countries in the world. And the guy that runs the Bangladesh ministry, lo and behold, he himself was a refugee from Burma a long time ago. So who better to lead and minister people who are facing the same thing a generation later? We, we, you know, we, we invested for the first time in uh, the Philippines with a long-established ministry linked to Pastor Chuck for over four decades. And this year we just felt like, yeah, they were supposed to invest like to do, to do this. Let's go for it in the Philippines. Yeah, let's do this. So we want to be open We want the Lord to be Lord of our finances. We want him to be over it all and to guide our steps. Amen?